Man, that was all an illustration. <laughs> Videos without audio can be a little awkward. Similar to dating can be a little awkward. And uh, no, hey, gosh, you guys look so good, man. It has been way too long and we are so pumped and so excited for everybody to be back. And uh, if people were not thirsty before COVID, it has only increased from there. So we are covering a very appropriate, this was already on the calendar and then we knew when we were gonna come back. But hey, just to welcome again, everybody in the room right here. The loft is also full. Everyone up in the loft, welcome. Stage two is also full and we are now gathering out in the auditorium and now uh, welcome, of course, everybody online in the 13 locations from around the country, Tulsa, El Paso, Houston, Northwest Arkansas, everybody that is getting back. But we are so pumped to be continuing or to be starting really kicking off this series as we look at Matchmaker. Let me bring you guys into a little bit of my dating world, which is a long time ago. But this, is, this is the first car that I ever drove and the first car that I ever took a girl on a date in. This is a 19, <clears throat> thank you very much. Don't want to brag, that's a 1993 Pontiac Sunbird convertible. Yes, typically only ladies and cheerleaders drive that car, but I got it from my sister and inherited that car. And you may be thinking that's a cool car. Nope, uh, that, you're probably thinking of the Pontiac Firebird. This was their less cool, nerdy cousin, the Sunbird. I drove this car and here's what the problem with that car was. The uh, driver's side door did not open which created significant problems when I would go ever on a date because it led to me going over to the passenger side and you would think being chivalrous and opening their door. But no, it was just me being like, uh, actually me first. And I'd hop over this, the console in order to get in the car. So it wasn't exactly like the, the chick mobile to be picking up ladies. But around that time that I started to drive was also when I was introduced to dating and what that even looked like. And the same is true for a lot of people. It's around that time in life where you begin to drive and for whatever reason, you just also are introduced to a lot of your friends and people just begin to form relationships. I know you do that in middle school, but everybody knows it doesn't really count in middle school. You just pass notes and you're like, we're talking. But in high school, you're beginning to date and you're also beginning to drive. What's interesting is there's a lot of similarities between dating and driving. Dating has been around about 100 years, almost the exact amount of time that the automo, automobile has been around. In other words, they were introduced really into culture around the same amount of time. And like dating, driving comes with significant risks. Every year, millions of people have life-altering damage done to their body from getting in car wrecks, millions in America. Uh, 40,000 people a year die from getting in a car crash. And in a similar way, as it relates to dating, although the casualties are usually not life and death, they are significant when it comes to your heart, your future, your love life, and even your marriage. Some of the most painful things really that people are walking through in the room, maybe that you've ever walked through in your life was a relationship that took a turn for the worse, that didn't end up working out. And unlike driving, where they don't have a similarity, is in order to drive, there's certain requirements that are a part of it. You have to be a certain number of years old. You have to be at least 16, or if you got that hardship license, you got a little bit early, there was requirements. And in fact, usually you have to go through driver's ed. But there's no such thing with dating. There's no dater's ed. And there's no age requirements. And so people are just kind of left to plunge into the deep end on their own. And oftentimes in a way that leads to really dysfunctional relationships and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Hurt that doesn't go away. Hurt that, carry, that they carry and end up carrying into future and future relationships. And God doesn't want you to experience that. So we're going to cover this series, what it looks like to be single, to be engaged, to be dating, and just cover what God says as it relates to the topic of romance and love. 
The Bible doesn't specifically address dating. Maybe a surprise to you, but just like it doesn't specifically address Instagram or avocado toast because they weren't around 2,000 years ago. But it has a lot to say about love, romance, marriage, and decision making, which is essentially what dating is. And God's heart is that you would navigate this minefield, that you would learn how to drive the car of dating in a way that doesn't lead you into a love life wreck, but towards a marriage, if that's his will for you, that is the type of marriage that you want to have. Next to who you're going to worship as your God, there is no more important, listen to me very closely on this, there is no bigger decision that you're going to make than who you're going to marry. More than where you're going to work, more than where you're going to live, your life is going to be altered by who you decide to marry. It is a huge deal. And we live in a country where 50% of people who end up standing in front of one another and pledging in a tux and a white dress, and they're like, I love you forever, ride or die, months or years later, end up signing papers where they say, I never want you in my life, and divorce. God doesn't want that in your story. He doesn't want any more heartbreak in your story. My guess is you don't either. So we're going to launch into this conversation tonight for the next handful of weeks about what it looks like to navigate these waters really well. The other thing that has spiked in COVID, in addition to Purell and Clorox, is online dating. There's been a 600% increase in certain dating apps, whether that's Hinge or Bumble or OkCupid or Tinder or Farmers Only. JD, you know what I'm talking about. And... uh, Whatever it is, uh, there's been a dramatic upcrease. And so part of the matchmaker thing that that bumper you couldn't actually hear the audio for is playing off of that idea. We don't have a porch dating app, but this is our like, you know, playing off of that idea of matchmaker and how to make sure that you end up with a match that is in line with what your maker would say. And so throughout the series, we're going to integrate some of the common language as it relates to even a dating app, if you will. Tonight, I want to talk about your dating profile. And by that, I don't mean what's currently listed on your Bumble account. I mean, by dating profile, your single life, who you are, not the description you have on your Facebook, but a description of who you are in reality, who God calls you to be in this season, and how to make sure that you use this season or you set up your dating profile to lead you in the best chance scenario of ending up with the type of person that you want to end up with. So tonight, if you take notes, we're talking about your dating profile. We're learning scriptural principles to inform what it looks like to set up your dating profile. And by that, again, I mean your single life. So we're going to launch in what your dating profile says or what it is. What is at stake, depending on what is in your dating profile? And for some of us, or many of us, maybe all of us, what you need to and how to change what's in your dating profile. So we're going to just walk through, again, when I say dating profile, I mean focusing on you. This is huge. Like before you move on to any other step, even if you're dating someone right now, you need to be asking the question, what is in my dating profile? Like what is my life? What marks my life? What habits does no one know about? Maybe habits people do know about, but what type of character am I building? What is your dating profile? Before you move on to any other step, addressing what is in your profile, what marks your life, what is a part of it. Before you focus on who to date, focus on the you that will date them, which is really difficult. And let me just be honest, inside of the room, this seems like the least fun thing. And I know that what comes most natural is not evaluating like, what does mark my life? And what are the habits that I really need to address right now? What comes a lot more natural is, who is she? Some of you, since you walked in the room, since I began talking, 
You have not been listening to what I've been saying because you have been thinking, I wonder who that is. Is is he friends with Kevin? Oh my gosh, I wonder if we should all like get together and how could I create a hypothetical situation or forced environment for us to have friends that go together like torchies afterwards. And really, I don't really care about the friends, but I can't get around him. That would be awkward. So maybe, and you've been thinking about that person. You've been checking out their shoes. He seems like he's responsible, but you know, has some fashion sense to him. Or she seems like, you know, she loves Jesus. Her hands were raised during worship. That was cool. Because it's so natural and easy to drift towards, huh, them. Before you go there tonight, I want to focus and call you to focus on not on who to date, but on the you that will date and addressing your dating profile. So the first idea, what is in your dating profile? Not what do you want people to know? Not what would you list on Bumble, but what If somebody saw everything about your life, what would God list out inside of your dating profile? That dating profile, you're gonna bring into marriage. In other words, when you get married someday, what marks your life, the profile of your life, and the profile of her life or his life are gonna be combined into one profile. What are you gonna be bringing in? Jesus said this idea of combining lives and combining profiles in Matthew chapter 19, Verse five and six, he said this. This is what marriage is. This is Jesus' words. Marriage is when a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. You're going to bring everything that's in your profile into your future marriage. What is in your dating profile? So we put together some of the profiles that typically kind of mark what people end up listing out there when they manicure and manage on a dating app profile, you know, the perception that they want someone to think of them about. And here were some of the ones that we put up. These are just fake people. Actually, Danny's in the room. He's on row four right here. Not true. Danny, here's what he would have just hypothetically. Went to Tamu, whoop. Uh, Likes going out with the boys. Saving Private Ryan is the only movie, only thing that makes me cry. Let's go two-stepping sometime. Got to. Favorites, of course, travel, reading coffee, looking for someone who loves the office and is a Christian, and he once climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. There's one example of a dating profile. Here's Allison. Allison works at the Richards Group. That's a company here in Dallas. Loves to travel, see new things. Just a small town girl living in a lonely world. Got to. Ah, love that. Got some wit. Got to. My family means everything to me. Here for a good time. Her favorites... Baking, Soul Cycle, and Jesus. Exactly everything she thinks men are looking for. Uh, looking for someone down to earth, funny, trustworthy. And fun fact about me, I have a dog. I'm a dog mom named, <laughs> to my corgi named Lucy. All right, next one, Michael. Ah, oh, look at that smile. It's a great pick. Played soccer in college. I love playing guitar. I have my own business. Holla. I enjoy spending time with my family and friends. My favorites would be family, fitness, and faith. And I am looking for an Enneagram 9 with an adventurous side. <laughs> Very specific, Michael. You're really limiting your options. I once backpacked through Europe in a summer. And I think our final one, oh, Kate, of course. Man, we have a great photographer who took these people's picture. Love to laugh and I'm always happy. I'm a professional at watching Netflix. I am the best me when I am outside. Communication Is that spelled right? Kate, that is not spelled right. Communication is key. And she watched less Netflix and uh, worked a little harder on her profile. Uh, My favorite things are lattes, guac, and margs, my Bible. I'm looking for someone who's strong and dependable. Fun fact about me, I'm always down for a 5K with a good cause. 
Now, what would these profiles say if they were entirely honest? Like, in other words, what are the things that, you know, likely, just like in your profile, if you were making one, you're not going to list online, but they are listed in your life. Here would be the first one. Danny. Uh, I didn't actually go to Tamu. <laughs> I went to Blinn. <clears throat> That's all right, Danny. Um, I get blackout drunk every weekend. I am emotionally unavailable. I do things girls like just so they will hook up with me. My favorites, video games for three hours a day, and dressing girls around me in my mind. Looking for someone who's blonde and has big boobs to have sex with. Fun fact about me, I'm addicted to porn. Now, those are things that he would never mention or never bring out of the light. But he's bringing them into a relationship. Allison, I flirt with my boss to get ahead. I get guys to pay for my vacations. I haven't spoken to my parents in over a year. I laugh about getting arrested that one time. My favorites include letting jealousy control my relationships, looking for someone to project my past baggage from men onto, and fun fact about me, I have an eating disorder. And then Michael. I keep Xanax around in case of emergency situations. I use my musical talents to impress women. I've got 20K in credit card debt. I punch multiple holes in my wall. My favorites include drunk Snapchatting with my ex. I'm looking for someone without a backbone whose life I can control. Fun fact about me, I have an anger problem and I've cheated on my past two girlfriends. And then, of course, Kate. If Kate was entirely honest, her profile would include anxiety controls my relationship. I don't really have much ambition. I find myself feeling too depressed to get out of bed. If you try to leave me, I will find you. <laughs> my favorites include drinking a bottle of wine every night because I don't like my life. And I'm looking for someone, if I was honest, to fill a hole my absent dad left and make me feel good about myself. Fun fact about me, I'm emotionally unstable and will make you feel crazy because I'm crazy. Now, no one would ever include those. But those are the type of things that mark people, many of us all over the room. And the profile you list online may not come with you into the future, but the profile that is actually your life will. And right now, what you're carrying around is not just going to determine the person you're going to end up with, as we'll talk about here in a second. It is shaping the future marriage that you're going to have. And you get to decide what is going to mark my life. What is going to be the profile that I carry into marriage? What's going to be the things that I bring in and bring forward? Because someday, if you end up married together, you're going to combine your baggage and her baggage, your profile and her profile. And so many people are good at falling in love. It is very easy to fall in love with people around you. There are beautiful girls in here. There are handsome guys in here. You could fall in love tonight. Staying in love is much more difficult. And one of the reasons that people don't stay in love is they never address their profile long before they ever met Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. When I got married to my wife, we went on a honeymoon, which is like our first real vacation together. Just two of us were so pumped. We're flying out of the country. 
and uh, going to this Mexico all-inclusive resort, just so stoked. We go to the airport, and this is like the first time I'd ever traveled with, with her before. And I, I began to realize women are very different in terms of packing. Like when guys think of packing, it's like, all right, we're going to do a backpack, and we're just going to go right through and no checking bags. When women, and particularly on the honeymoon, think of it, I mean, she's bringing like cargo I've never even seen before. She's got the blow dryer. She's got the hair curlers. She's got hair things. I don't even know what they are. She's got all kinds of like a tackle box of makeup and 17 different pairs of shoes and it's just what's going to happen. And as we go up to check in our bags and to begin to go through the process of, of going through security and getting the airport, I, I realized that my bag and her bag were very, very different. And we put her bag on the scale and it was 15 pounds over the weight limit for her bag. We put mine on and it was like seven pounds. So it, of course it was like, take that off. We're putting all of our, lots of your stuff into my bag so that we can escape paying the extra fees on there. Really in marriage, that's what happens. Not just that you share luggage when you're going to a destination, you're going to share the baggage of the person that you marry and they're going to share yours. What is that baggage? Maybe tonight the only step you need to take is just being honest with yourself. Here's the stuff that I'm carrying in my profile. I can't go a week without turning to weed because my anxiety is through the roof. I don't like myself because I was a cheerleader and I got injured in college and I've defined myself by that moment ever since. I don't like the way that I look. I was sexually abused. What's in your profile? Because what is at stake is the most significant relationship other than the one with God you will ever have and your ability to maintain it. What do I mean? What's at stake or why your profile matters is that whatever is in your profile, your life, it's not going away when you get married. Like there's this weird fantasy idea that like, oh yeah, then when you get married, then you become an adult and you stop doing that. That doesn't happen. And I've, I've stood by too many people who ended up getting married and ended up years or weeks or months getting divorced and walking away. And it was because they never dealt with the issues inside of their life. The problems they thought would just go away. They never went away. They got worse. And marriage, they don't disappear. They get exposed. Or if anything, they get even worse. It doesn't fix your problems. Paul in the Bible says it adds to your problems. So waiting till marriage to deal with them is only going to be a time when the problems get even worse. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Verse 31, I want you to be free from anxieties. He's talking about singleness and marriage. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please him. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In other words, particularly the guys, he's about to dress the girls, but guys, when you get married, Life changes radically. Today, if you wanted to, I bet you could go home, you could turn on the TV, you could, you know, watch sports, you could watch the Mavs, you go on a jog, you do whatever you want. Someday, you're going to end up married, and you're going to end up spending time and money on things you never would have anticipated spending time and money on. You're going to get home from a long day of work, you're not turning on the TV, you're not just vegging out or going on a run, you're going to sit there, and you're going to talk about how your day was, and you're going to have to sit there and process and talk through and give details about everything that's going on, and she's going to want to know all the different aspects of her life, and then she's going to want to flip it and want you to talk and speak into all the aspects of her life. She's going to want to know that you're listening and paying attention and you're verbally nodding along and that you're there not to try to fix her problems, but just to hear and listen and empathize with. And your life's going to change. And you're going to spend money on things that, man, 
Right now, you're like, dude, I, I can go spend money on whatever I want. I may switch cars when I want. I may, may uh, you know, move apartments. I got a lot of disposable income. I do whatever I want with. Nope. Not when you marry someday. You're going to end up spending money on things that I, I have no idea why we have so many pillows in my house. <laughs> duvet. Duvets. I didn't even know what a duvet was before we got married. And now we have like three of them. You're going to spend money and have to spend, you know, things are going to break apart. You're going to have a mortgage. It just life begins to change. And Paul says, life doesn't get easier. And marriage is an amazing gift. And as someone married to one of the most low maintenance people I know of on the planet, I just have seen that marriage, it changes your life. So Paul's, his point is not marriage is bad and singleness is good or singleness is bad. And marriage, his point is, hey, marriage will not fix your problems. He says the same thing to the ladies. He says, the unmarried woman is anxious about things of the Lord. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Ladies, you're going to get married someday. Likely, statistically speaking, 90% of the people in the room will get married by age of 50. And you're going to get married, and here's what you're going to understand or be exposed to about men. They're not very clean. Some of them are so not clean, it's like it is, they're reaching the danger zone in terms of their lifestyle. And they're going to end up wanting to do things or... You know, uh, you're going to find yourself going, man, I do not want to do that again. This is not a lingerie night. Again, it's me sitting on the couch wearing my comfy pants, and I just want you to sit here and listen and talk with me. There's going to be challenges and things that are brought about through marriage. And Paul's point is marriage does not make your problems go away. If anything, it adds to the problems that are there. And then when you add kids into the mix, your discretionary time goes out the window. This is such a unique season and stage in your life. And marriage is amazing. And kids are amazing. I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. My point is, whatever is in your profile, it's not going to go away. It's not going to get better just because you get married. If anything, it's going to get worse. And it's going to end up spilling out and end up impacting the relationships that you have. It's not dissimilar to this. This is a Topo Chico. It's a beverage in case you're not familiar with it. Inside of this, like marriage... If you shake it up, which is what marriage does, it's really what stress does to our life. If you shake it up, there's a greater likelihood that eventually something's going to spill out. And the problem isn't that, you know, what is uh, shaking it up? Because life is full of stress and anxiety and challenges and problems and hardship and all of it you're going to face. But when that happens, what is inside is going to come out. That was a lot messier than I thought. And the problem in marriage, and I promise you, like, it's just life. You're going to walk through miscarriages. You're going to have a parent that dies of cancer. One of you is going to lose your job. And all of that shaking and all of that stress is going to bring to the surface and what's inside is going to spill out. I just want you to be honest with yourself. What is inside? The idea of someday, and I know you don't believe me, that's the most frustrating thing if I haven't done this the last 11 years, is people are like, no, once I get married, I will grow up. No, you won't. You will grow up when you decide to grow up. The only thing getting married will do is change your last name if you're a girl. If you're a guy, won't even do that. What are you bringing into marriage? Because what is at stake is the most important relationship other than the one with Christ that you will ever have. So now... How to change your dating profile. The third idea. 
So what's in there, what's at stake, and then how to change your dating profile or taking the best next step. As I said, 90% of you will get married by 50. Statistically, 75% of young adults will get married by 35, 80% by 40. So this time in your life, you have got like a decade for a lot of you, or give or take a little bit around a decade, where likely you're going to make the decision of the most important relationship you're going to have in terms of an earthly one. Before you get there, Addressing your profile. So how do you address your profile? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that same chapter, that singleness, despite the fact that often we don't feel like it, is a gift. And here's why I think we don't feel like it is a gift. Because we don't see it as something that God gave us for a season. It's a unique time period for most people's lives. In other words, for 90% of people in the world, or for 90% of Americans who end up getting married, singleness is a season. It's not some perpetual, you know, trap that they're caught in. It's a season. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it's a season that is a gift for two reasons. He says it in verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you. Talking about what singleness is for. But singleness is to promote what is appropriate and secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul says, hey, here's what singleness is for. This is a season unique in your life that God gives every single person that you can take advantage of it by using it to promote what is appropriate. He lists two things. And secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. What is promote what is appropriate? That means deal with your character, with issues. Begin to live in community. And confess that a pornography addiction marks your life and begin to regularly bring that out into the light. Regularly call and confess that to other people around you. You live in a world, men, where there are, are borderline naked women on every channel that you can flip through. And I'm talking about Victoria's Secret model commercials that come on there. It's not crazy. Most of us, like me, were introduced to pornography at such a young age. You think that it's any shock or surprise why that marks your life? But it doesn't have to. And you can make the decision today. I'm not going to have this in my profile for the rest of the rest. I'm not going to bring this into my marriage where all of a sudden the type of sex that I want to have in marriage someday and the sexual fantasies that I want my wife to live out are defined by the pornography that I've consumed and am consuming. Because I'm going to choose to deal with that. You make the decision, man, I'm going to choose to deal with that problem with Xanax. I'm going to choose to deal with that eating disorder that I have because I hate myself. Everyone talks about, you know, you're so pretty and I like all this, but I hate myself. I hate myself. And I'm going to address not just the eating disorder, I'm going to address the roots that are underneath it and what's inside of it and what's behind it. In doing so, promoting what is good behavior. That's what Paul's words is. Hey, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should be doing with your singleness. Dealing with addictions, dealing with hurts. Some of you were really, really wounded by a father, by a family member. You're still really hurt from an ex you had in high school. And you never forgave them. You never forgave somebody who did like horrible, painful things to you. Like was absent from your life for years and years and years. And here's what I know. Holding on to that is not just going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your future marriage because you're going to project those hurts. A person I've seen it so many times who is not able to forgive people from the past will not, able be, able, will not be able to forgive a spouse in their present And they're going to hold on to bitterness and they're going to claim it's like, no, I just have trust issues. But really it's because they've never forgiven people who've hurt them. And then they get married. And they've trained their whole life to hold on to bitterness and hold on to hurts. Are you going to make the decision? I'm going to work through that and recover from that. 
Somebody sexually abused or raped me. And you have the decision, are you, are you gonna carry that for the rest of your life? And that wasn't your fault and it was wrong. And they're gonna give an account to God. But you have to be honest and give an account to yourself. How long are you gonna let that define your life? How long are you gonna carry that in your profile? Are you gonna work and work through the process of forgiving? of healing. This is why we hit on living in community to promote what is good behavior because all of us in isolation and on our own, we drift as Proverbs 18.1 says and all throughout the Proverbs it says, we just drift towards self-destructive tendencies that I need people in my life who can call out blind spots that I have, who can hold me accountable and come around and pray for me. Do you have a small group of guys, a small group of girls? If you've been walking through COVID and isolation, I know you've got stuff you've got to heal from. And I know you're carrying things that you're not strong enough to carry, like depression and anxiety and the things that we've been talking about for the last six weeks. It's been said, idiosyncrasies grow in the garden of isolation. In other words, like if you've ever met somebody and you're like, man, you're just a little bit off. You're a little quirky. Typically it's because they don't have anyone in their life who will tell them the truth, who will say, here's what I see. Here's what marks your life. Do you know that you're like this? Do you have community? If not, it will be really difficult. It will be impossible to promote and use this season to build the character that will allow you to build a marriage that will last. Second thing he says is secure, undistracted devotion to the Lord. Before you get a relationship with a guy or girl, you've got to get your relationship with God right. This is the time to go all in on your faith. To not use it to, you know, get it out of your system and kind of sow your wild oats. Getting it out of your system through three sleeping around, living for the weekend. That is how you get it in your system. And in your profile. This is a time to go all in and grow in your faith. To not use the weekend to just play Call of Duty and, and you know, your COD squad. But to invest. Invest in knowing God's word. Serving inside of a church. Growing your character and pursuing an undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul says this in Galatians chapter six. Right now, you are sowing seeds in your single life. What are you sowing? He says, do not be misled. You cannot mock God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest decay and death from sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. He basically says, hey, whatever you planted today, you're gonna reap those at a later time. However you're living your life, those are going to resurface again at a later time. How did you use your weekend? How are you using your time? Are you investing it in what actually matters? God's kingdom, building your character, serving inside of a church. Are you connected to a church? Are you spending time growing in his word? You know how much Bible you could learn in like six weeks around here with the number of classes that are available? Are you going to use this as a foundation to become the type of person who invests in the most important thing about you. Let me be abundantly clear. The most important thing about you and the person that you will marry is not something you can see. It is what is on the inside. And every single day, you have the decision to say, man, what am I investing in? How am I shaping my future marriage? How am I building into my character? How am I growing in my faith? And we spend so much time, and ladies, you know, 
I'm not throwing shade at it. So much time looking a certain way, clipping up the eyebrows and getting everything all looking good on the outside and neglect the most important thing which you cannot see, which is on the inside. And above any quality that you should look for, man, I've just, I, I remember being single and I know what it's like to be like, nah, I don't believe that. I've done marriages of beautiful girls and handsome guys that claimed to be walking with Jesus and they were hiding sin. And those marriages are not together anymore. The most important thing about you and about the person you're going to end up with is something you cannot see. It is what is on the inside. Because someday, it's like this. When I got married, my wife gave me this bracelet. It's not a tremendously, you know, crazy fancy bracelet. It was just a bracelet of a bunch of fish hooks and the fish hooks were basically accompanied with the letters. On our wedding day, showed up at our room. She was like, hey, this is for the rest of our life. We're going to spend following Jesus and doing what he calls us to, fishing for men, Matthew chapter 4. Also on that day of my wedding, there was another gift. There were lots of gifts that you end up giving, but you are also, without even realizing it, you are giving to your spouse whatever is on the inside of your heart, of your life, of your soul, of your profile. What are you going to give? What is there? And are you going to make the decision to be a Danny whose profile doesn't say, you know, I'm still addicted to pornography. Instead, it says, I'm living authentically. I'm confessing and living in the light. Instead of being a Kate who's saying, yeah, hey, I deal with alcohol in order to work through my oppression and I'm emotionally unstable because I've never forgiven my dad. It says, I have worked through and recovered from the hurt and the past in my heart. What is your profile going to say? You get to decide. You have to decide. And that decision will define and shape the type of relationship you're going to have in the future and the type of person you're going to end up with in general. Dating also shares, I'm about to land the plane, another similarity when it comes to driving. Dating like driving, driving is something you do whenever you want to go someplace. You get in the car to move from one destination to another destination. Biblically, that is the point and purpose of dating. You get there in order to move in the destination, not of casual fun, but the destination of marriage. If you're not interested in going somewhere, don't get in a car. If you're not interested in moving towards marriage, don't start dating. And if you are not healthy, you should not be dating. If you've got stuff in your profile, you're like, man, this is just toxic. You should not be dating. If there's an addiction that you're hiding, you're not living in the light, you should not be dating. If you're not in community, I'm not sure you should be dating. Conclusion. What's in your profile, really? What is at stake could not be bigger. And the way you change with it is by seeking to use your singleness to promote what is appropriate behavior and to go all in with Christ, living in community, confessing sin, working through past hurts. And if you do, there is no limit to the story that God is going to write. And there's no person whose profile in here is so damaged and scarred and messed up that God can't write an amazing, beautiful, incredible story. Every person in the loft right now, every person in stage two, every person in El Paso, every person in Houston, every person in Fort Worth, every single person. If you are willing to say, God, I'm going to go all in with you, 
Like, I know the fear is that, hey, you've done so many things wrong. You're like, man, just I'm damaged goods. A godly guy will never be interested in me. That is a lie. Godly guys don't look for perfection. They look for someone who's pursuing Jesus with their heart, regardless of their past. Who knows that there's a God who is there named Jesus, who changed his profile for you and for me, the profile of the perfect son of God forever, eternally in heaven, without sin, who became the sinful one on me. He took all of the sexual sin of my past, every look at pornography, every abortion represented in the room, every time that you've ever gotten wasted on the weekend, all of it and all the shame and everything was taken on Jesus. And his profile went from perfect to covered in your sin and my sin. So that your profile for all of eternity would not be defined by the actions that you have, your relationship status, but what what he did on the cross. If you have trusted him, you are forgiven. You shouldn't walk in shame. You shouldn't walk like your damaged goods. You can continue to walk saying, man, I'm gonna become a godly person. I'm gonna work on my character right now. Because ultimately I wanna marry a godly person and godly people marry godly people. So I'm gonna put that number one. I'm gonna prioritize that, not just because of that, but because that is where life is found. You're not defined by your past. And until you know your maker, looking for a match will be foolish. So those of you who have never trusted in Jesus tonight is your night because you're not defined by what Jesus did on the cross. You aren't when Jesus or God looks at you, someone who's blanket statement, forgiven, pure, my child. You're still covered by your sin. You've never accepted the free gift Jesus extended when he gave his life on the cross for you. That's what it means to be a Christian is I accepted the free gift that God became a man. He died in my place. He paid for everything. I'm not defined by my shame because I've trusted in the one who saves, Jesus, who died for me. He rose from the dead and I will too. And now I'm invited to continue to work on my character, to grow and address my profile before I move it into that next relationship, that second to my first love and my first relationship of importance with him. Let me pray. Father, I do pray for every person in the room who is covered in shame. They feel like there isn't hope for them. They've done things that they regret and they're ashamed of and they wouldn't talk about and they don't want others to know about. But because of that shame, they feel like damaged goods. So they keep going after men and women who are not godly, who don't wanna have the type of marriage that you describe in scripture because they think it's the best that they can do. I pray that you would pierce through that, that they would hear from the voice of you. You're my child, you're my child, you're forgiven that you would write an amazing story and profile and something beautiful. I pray for everyone who's never trusted in your son for the payment for their sin and death and resurrection. Tonight would be their night. Father, thank you that you love us despite everything messed up in my profile. Everything in my past, everything in my present, everything where I need you, God, that I can rest and trust and accept and walk in your forgiveness. I pray that this series, you would launch amazing relationships. Men and women would start dating, they'd get married from it. And I pray that you also stop, destroy, and end relationships that they know right now they need to end. Thank you that we have a relationship with you if we've by faith accepted it that never will end. We worship you in song now.
Amen.